If you have what we can call sitting in a chair too long back pain, even a general flow practice can just make you feel much, much better because you oxygenate the muscles, you strengthen them, you lengthen them. So you do a practice like that and your back will feel better. Welcome to Guys Talking Yoga, a podcast created to help inspire other men to consider the practice of yoga for its many benefits through the conversations and stories with other guys. I'm your host, Derek Vandewalker, and I got into yoga 20 years ago, but it really wasn't until 2017 when I signed up for Allison West's 200-hour teacher training at Yoga Union Studio in Manhattan. Allison is someone who I've been wanting to have on the show for a very long time because if it weren't for her, I would have never really found yoga as a place to work through my own back, hip, and leg issues that were just dogging me at the time. And that 200-hour teacher training just really helped me develop my own sense of agency, not right away, but at least gave me the confidence to see how I could use yoga and know what I could and couldn't do and still be able to work through my alignment challenges. Anyhow, in this conversation, we get into Allison's path getting into yoga in the early 80s, her passion and curiosity for learning how to use yoga to help others resolve their own back care issues, including bulging discs and herniation, fusion, spondylolisthesis, stenosis, scoliosis, all that great fun stuff that so many of us have struggled with. Allison has really become a pioneer and an expert in uh, using various different yoga techniques, all the way from the breath to different props, uh, you know, hanging using slings and ropes off walls. So I am just uh, super psyched to have Allison on the show today and uh, be able to share a little bit, just a tiny bit of the knowledge and experience she has. And I highly recommend people who have back issues to seek out Allison and uh, we'll be providing those links in this podcast and the show. So enjoy. Allison West, great to see you and thank you for joining us. My pleasure. So when I started this podcast two years ago, I had always, always had the intention of having you on as my teacher when I did my 200-hour teacher training. And I just want to say for those who are listening, there's really two reasons why I wanted to, to bring you on for this chat. Um, number one is just being my teacher and somebody who helped me find my path with yoga as a means to develop the agency in your own body to work through discomfort, pain misalignment, and anything else that people tend to come to you with. That was number one. Number two is you've worked with many men over the years. And so those are really the two reasons why I wanted to have you on. And so once again, honored to have you here and very excited for this conversation. Great. So what would you like to talk about? Well, the first thing I want to share is, is how you got into yoga. Because if I, my memory suits me, it wasn't about your discomfort or your challenges. It was somebody who, in your life that you were with and you had looked, got into yoga thinking of a way to help him. Was that, is that correct? Completely. I was finishing up uh, dissertation research as an art historian, and my then boyfriend was a German man who came from Munich. So we were both in Munich, and he had scoliosis. And I said I thought uh, yoga would help. This is long before I began specializing in yoga for back care and scoliosis. And so we started yoga together, and I then continued, and I never stopped. And this was in something like 1981 or two. So from that point on, in, in the in the 80s, uh, what was it about yoga and your own curiosity as far as what you were learning that really captivated you and, and ultimately led to a career? 
oddly enough, I didn't have one of those beatific moments of realization that this is what I was going to do for the rest of my life. It felt more like a steel gauntlet on the back of my neck. <laughs> I started doing it and I felt compelled by something to keep going forward, to keep asking questions, to keep exploring. And so I went first from the Shivananda style to my longtime Iyengar teacher, Kevin Gardner, where I suddenly had this immense revelation about um, the potential for aligning the body in ways that would produce a stronger interconnected force through the body. And also uh, attention to the organs in a new way, to the central nervous system, to really paying attention to the vast complex that we are, and that really is not just the musculoskeletal form. And so that was incredibly exciting, and I felt challenged. And when I feel challenged, that's when I get excited. It's why I like skill-oriented sports. I love to ski, for example. Um, I was an archer. I was a, I was a swimming captain in school. I've loved all of these things. And so I just felt that, um, that first of all, a skill set was being challenged. But then it became much, much more. I felt the inner body workings and so forth. And, and that's how I came to it. And this, this was in the 1980s. You had gotten into yoga. Yes, I and then... got into yoga. I, I started Iyengar yoga in the very early 90s. Mm -hmm. And never stopped, although I also then did Ashtanga yoga, which was physically enormously demanding. And that's when I was doing handstand dropbacks and feet on my head and handstand and all that very demanding range and strength work, which um, I don't do in the same way anymore, but I certainly can teach to it. And I have uh, male students uh, who have very strong practices, and, and I feel very fortunate that I can work with them because it's always fun to work with somebody who really wants to practice. And, yes. Uh, so there, I've, I've had that great pleasure. So for those who are listening who might not have a full understanding of what Iyengar is, the Iyengar practice in Shtanga, could you just hit on those two briefly and how they're different? Absolutely. Um, BKS Iyengar was one of the great luminaries of yoga in the 20th century who started to um, elaborate a tremendously detailed program of alignment in the poses so that they would, um, when you are aligned, your joints are centered and you're able to move energy more powerfully through them. And he also developed the use of props. So blocks, belts, bolsters, and the fantastic rope wall. And um, in fact, the, the use of the rope wall has been one of the greatest things. And I've done a lot of work on it and developed a lot of work on it. Um, and, and I'm about to release an on-demand program for rope wall work, but that you can also do on a door. So that Iyengar yoga is fundamentally alignment yoga. People always mistake it, therefore, to not be very demanding. It can be as hard as any other practice if you're working in a certain way. Ashtanga yoga is based on a set series of poses, very firmly set upon the breath. And um, it was developed by Sri uh, Patabi Joyce, um, a student of uh, one of the uh, great uh, yogis also of the uh, 20th century, whose name is just called clear out of my head for two seconds. Krishna Machara. Thank you, Krishna Macharya, uh, who uh, was also B.S. Iyengar's father-in-law. So, I mean, there are, you know, lots of circles within circles. But it's a very strong, flowing practice of increasing difficulty, and you move through the levels with the permission of your teacher, who gives you poses, and then you take those poses, and you add them, and you continue. Yep. So is it fair to say that those two types of yoga, yoga styles really sort of are the foundation for what you, you developed within your own style out of those two roots? 
Absolutely. Although I got a lot from the Shivananda tradition as well, um, a different aspect with a special emphasis on also the spiritual aspects of yoga, or I would say the philosophical aspects. When you say spiritual, um, it can sometimes be um, tricky, but certainly the philosophical aspects and the nature of meditation and the nature of being. And uh, so, and, and I've retained that in my practice and in my teaching. So I, I look back fondly uh, at our 200-hour teacher training program that I did with you at Yoga Union in late 2017, and I still am processing the, the abundance of information that you shared in that teacher training program. You know, I really came for the alignment and the understanding of, you know, how to use safely for my body and some of the issues that I had at the time. But I was really kind of swept away by the philosophical introduction that I got in our 200-hour teacher training. On your path, when you started to get into yoga, uh, were you expecting or anticipating your enthusiasm and curiosity around the philosophical aspects of yoga? Or was that something that um, really surprised you? I, it didn't surprise me. My husband of many years ago, who is now dead, um, and was also much older than I was, practiced yoga and also spoke about the philosophy of Sri Aurobindo. So he was, he was already speaking to me about that, although I didn't take it seriously at the time. So I feel that this whole yoga thing has been like something coming to, you know, it's a revenge <laughs> part of yoga because I didn't take him seriously. No, he, so I was exposed to it, and I was also very live to it, and I felt in deep harmony with the things he was saying. But I just I was doing three hours of dance a day at Joffrey, and so I felt that the yoga that he was doing was not equal to the physical practice I had because that's how I was thinking. Yep. Right? And so when I started, I suddenly realized it was a very different thing. And um, pose, counterpose, action, uh, relaxation, um, breathing practices that also contribute to this immense sense of inner awareness and energy and uh, movements of the mind and so forth all came with my then uh, practice through the Shivananda tradition. And it was much more present in those classes than anywhere else. That's where I really got anchored into the philosophical practice, but it didn't come as a surprise. However, the extent of it was fantastic. And when I did my teacher trainings there, my first two trainings, um, it was a fundamental part of the training. And so I, I was able to experience it in a much, much thoroughgoing way. Yep. And so when was it the late 80s or early 90s you started to really become a yoga teacher? Or where, whereabouts did you turn that corner? I turned that corner when I did my first trainings in 88, 89. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I, I practiced for quite a while and then I started teaching. And then 10 years after I did my trainings, I started running teacher trainings. I felt it was very important. And I feel nobody should run a teacher training program unless they have been teaching for at least 10 years. Yeah. Like anything else, you need time to mature. And, and you can only have something to say if you've had a really deep experience of what you're doing. And so I waited and, uh, and then suddenly it seemed to be the right thing. And I did the first month intensive that anybody had ever done in an urban setting in New York City. And um, I loved it. I loved doing the trainings. And I brought in other people to teach things that I thought would be valuable from a different perspective or a greater specialization. So you started teacher training in the late 90s. And then, then you, you established Yoga Union around the same time? Uh, I established Yoga Union uh, as a name brand and as, as a teacher in 1996. But the first full home was across the street from the last Yoga Union 
at uh, 32 West 28th. I partnered with Deborah Wolk and we created Yoga Union there. Um, Yoga Union was, of course, my brand name, but um, so we created it there. And five five years after being there, we moved across the street. Um, it's a space that I rented, uh, and the Back Hair Center, which Deborah and I co-ran, rented from Yoga Union, and it was a 5,000 square space with three fantastic full studios with rope walls and a smaller private studio with rope walls. It was just incredibly beautiful. And that ended with COVID. I closed the studio on July 31st, 2020. I only had nine months left on the lease, but it's still, I closed it a little early. And uh, it was a tremendous loss uh, because there are very few places in New York City where you can work on rope walls. It it was an amazing space, a beautiful space. When was the time that you decided that there was an opportunity to develop an expertise and offer a curated way of experiencing yoga for back issues? Well, multiple fronts. First of all, people with back problems kept coming. And statistically, it's said that back problems are one of the principal reasons that people approach yoga. Their doctors say, go and do yoga. And of course, most doctors don't really know that there are different kinds of yoga and that certain yogas might actually <laughs> aggravate a back problem. You know, if you have a lumbar herniation and you do a steady flow practice, bring your foot forward between your hands and flexing your spine every single time, it could yeah. aggravate the problem. But constant presence of people saying, I have back problems and working in the Iyengar tradition with a very serious look at alignment. And of course, teachers specializing in this. Mm. Uh, Elise Miller is one of the great luminary founders of Yoga for Scoliosis, and I did her training. And Bobby Fultz also, although Bobby didn't run trainings the way Elise did, she had a very sophisticated and subtle approach, and they both had marked scoliosis. So they grew this practice out of their own problem. And I trained with them, and I have developed material as well. But so it was this confluence of need plus exposure to a potential path to meet that need. So it came together at about the same time. Yep. And so if you look back with a broad lens on all the folks who've came, men and women with back issues, how would you categorize, how would you put them into buckets for perhaps the the types of reasons or or types of back issues that they're coming in with? Like I, I can realize some of it might be stress. Some of it might be more alignment related. I understand that it's very subjective for each person. Sometimes it's several things at play, but if you had to just put it in the two or three buckets, you know, what are, what are the type of back pain and back discomfort that people have typically come in for seeking yoga? The two most prominent are lumbar herniation and scoliosis, but I'm going to add a few more spondylolisthesis, which is the slippage of one vertebra out over the one below. Uh-huh. And it can be antero, forward, retro, or latero in different directions. But that 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 has been a, a third common factor, along with osteoporosis of the spine. But yeah. the the biggest ones are lumbar herniation and scoliosis. And and I've had commonly women get are more prone to scoliosis than men. But I've had lots of men with scoliosis, and um, lots of students with lumbar herniation. So those those are the most common, if I bucket things in this very yep. simple way. Yeah. If there was a common thread that you could weave through or why yoga helps with back care issues and why people have found success. And I, one thing I want to note that you and other great yoga teachers that I've had the pleasure of working with have always been respectful of, hey, 
have you seen a doctor or make sure you go see a doctor for this. Like it's a complex thing, but you've always come with a, an understanding that there, there could be other things at play and obviously having a good uh, analysis from a medical doctor is important. Let me just say something about that. Um, legally, we are, even for yoga therapists, we are not supposed to be diagnosing, even though my years of experience can let me tell you what kind of scoliosis you have and I don't need an x-ray. But we're not supposed to diagnose and we're not supposed to prescribe. So, I mean, we would never certainly prescribe drugs and so forth, but it's always a good idea um, to have somebody who you might even, they might not even know what kind of problem they have, but they say, this happens when I do this. I'd say, go and get an image. But even if you have an image of a herniation, you might not be in pain or um, you, you know, there's no automatic correlation. Still, it is better to have imaging and better to have a medical report. And it can be the thing that really lets me hone in on the problem yep. also, because yep. I don't yet have those powers of, uh, of sight into the body, you know, so x-rays are our powers. So yeah, seeing a doctor is, is also our way of safeguarding ourselves because then we get yes. a very clear report. Yes. So, um, so if you had to see a common thread or, 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 or themes or, or reasons why, you know, why does yoga seem to help with people with back, back discomfort, back pain and issues? First of all, I have to say there is no such thing as just a random a global back pain, back problem. There are many. If you have what we can call sitting in a chair too long back pain, Right. A, even a general flow practice can just make you feel much, much better because you oxygenate the muscles, you strengthen them, you lengthen them. Um, those two words rhyme because they really do go together. You need strength and length, range of motion and strength to be developed at the same time. So you do a practice like that and your back will feel better. If you have actual structural damage or displacement, mm-hmm. then it mm-hmm. is a different kind of work. And for that, much more training and precision is required. But one of the stellar things of alignment work is that it does what the body needs and that it ideally helps to center the joints. And if you know that you have a front spine problem, such as herniation, osteoporosis, then you also don't want to shorten that part of the body. So you learn how to teach students to work with a neutral spine which is often equated with a flat spine, which is wrong. You you have four curves to the spine, cervical, thoracic, lumbar, and and sacral. And the sacrum is part of the spine, although it's often not included for reasons I don't understand, but there it is. So you want to maintain those natural curves, but sometimes those curves get exaggerated. So you work to help lengthen the spine while centering all the joints, not just of the spine, but of the hips, of the shoulders, and so forth. And you learn how to work in a way that will not aggravate an issue. So, so learning alignment and the centering of joints is a critical aspect of the Iyengar practice. Um, and but even in, within the Iyengar practice, there are things that you know might be improved on, like the scapulohumeral rhythm is one that I love to teach. And um, it, it doesn't really allow for plugging the arm back into the shoulder socket, for example, but that's abstruse stuff. But yep. yes, getting lines of energy to move through the body by truly centered joints, by truly centering the joints is critical. And uh, men and women alike need to understand this. And I have fantastically useful ways to help people feel that energy through the hips and through the arms over years of developing uh, this practice. 
Yep. And it does take time. I mean, I, I mean, I've, I've been at this for 10 years and, uh, I, I still have work to do, but I'm also amazed. I'm amazed how long it's taken me to develop this agency and feel my body and work through trauma and tension. It does. But I'm also, but I'm also, I, I can't, it's taken a long time, but at the same time, I never expected to have this sense of awareness and this sense of feel. It can take a long time, but also sometimes students can have relief immediately. If I put students, for example, on a rope wall and lengthen out their spine and traction, I once had this student come to a class when I was at my small, smaller studio, a big Indian man who had a lumbar issue, and I put him in traction, but seated on a chair, but still in traction in rope chair pose. And he just said, oh my God, this is all I need. This is all I need. I feel great. And we never saw him again because he saw that he could put his spine in traction. It would relieve pressure on the uh, the nerves that were being compressed by his uh, herniation or bulging disc. And it was his solution. And uh, so not everybody has a huge long line in, into their healing. But on the other hand, understanding the alignment of the body does take time. And that's why I don't think anybody should run a training unless they've studied for 10 years and work with yeah. their body for 10 years. And, you know, it's, it's like being a doctor. You go to medical school, you accept it. It's going to be 10 years. And then you intern and then you assist and you learn. And yes. once you've done that, you start to understand. And I'm still learning, too, by the way. If you, it never ends. Well, I, I, that's what makes it so much fun to be around you in your, in your practice and in your studio, because I think you're, you're, there's an energy that you, that, that it comes off of you of just the excitement of, of connecting the dots and also helping others see how those dots connect. And so I definitely appreciate that. Um, so let's say when somebody comes to you and has back issues, I got to imagine most people who come to the studio are pretty stressed and pretty tense and pretty, let's say guarded about, um, exploring yoga and, and, um, and, 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 and just being open to the process, you know, could you speak to some of that anxiety and trepidation that a guy might have men or women, but you know, I think men typically are probably more guarded in this regard, working with that anxiety, working with that, uh, that, that fear that they're going to make it worse, or they don't believe that yoga can help. There are many things in that question. Guarding is an extremely important thing to recognize because it means also, I mean, it can be emotional guarding, like you're not sure you want to do this and you're sort of like very, very uh, hesitant and, you know, looking at me from the side with the eyes, really, I'm going to be doing this. So there are different forms of guarding. There's actual physical guarding where the body is so locked in place because of fear of further hurting that ischemia sets in. The muscles are in a state of spasming permanent contraction, yeah. which means then that there's no nourishment, no movement, and this can lead to further uh, compression of the issues and so forth. And so with pain comes stress and anxiety, but anxiety and stress can also cause the tissues of the body to so arrest movement that they can also begin to produce their own back problems. Mm -hmm. So you can, going, it depends on the student, but if I see somebody in that state of mind, the first thing I will do is put them into a restorative pose, possibly back on the floor, legs on a chair, so that they can go into a mild inversion, which also affects your blood pressure and can reduce it, and um, and and get the body to relax before we start to act on the body. Um, I've I've had different responses to the idea of doing back care. Can it be safe? I've had. And this is more true, I have to say, of male students and female students, men coming, and I will tell them, talk to them a little bit about 
what the nature of the practice will be and they'll have to give up doing crunches for a while and doing their flow practice so they don't keep flexing the spine and adding to their injury um, because they are really suffering from multiple herniations, for example. Mm-hmm. And flexing the spine is putting pressure on the vertebra and causing the herniation to extrude and press more powerfully on the nerve roots that are exiting from that part of the spine. And they will look at me and say, I remember once you just saying, well, you know, what you're saying may be true, but you may not necessarily get me to do it. Now, I, I just remember, and I said, look, I said, you know, it's, it's your body. It's absolutely up to you. You know, you feel free to do it or, you know, don't do it. But I'm just explaining to you what happens. And, um, but not only men. I once had a woman uh, who, who just loved her, her power work and all of these things. And I said the same thing. I said, for a while, you're going to have to back off. And she didn't. She came back to me a year later saying, I don't know what the matter is. I'm still in such pain. So at that point, I finally said, well, do it my way for a while and let's see what happens. Yeah. And so we got her out of her chronic pain. And then she slowly strengthened around the new pattern. It was great. So men on the whole, I would say, I'm not going to say on the whole they're less receptive, but I've probably found my most non-receptive uh, mm. possible students among the male population. Yep. yep. But once men start working with me and, and, and are willing to experience the relief that can be achieved, then it's fantastic. Yep. It's just yep. fantastic because, yep. you know, it's it you can see the results i mean i know i worked with you um i you know and it was great but we also did i mean we did things that we could say are not yoga conscious movement is what we do so it's not always you know exactly a yoga pose we do yes. conscious movement and yes. and paying attention and breath work and so forth so anxiety and stress can contribute to back pain yep. can be a definite corollary and if it's chronic pain depression can also set in because there's a sense of hopelessness yes so yes. once you start working with the body, you can also s- develop a sense of hope. You're developing agency. You are starting to do things for yourself, which is very empowering. It can change your mental outlook. And so this, what has devolved because of varying power starts to evolve out of the depression or the anxiety or the stress. And, and, and Dr. Sarno said that all back pain was due entirely to stress, which, of course, is, 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 is saying that the nurture nature thing is only one thing or the other. Right. It's right. biomechanical. It's also psychosocial. Um, I, I'm just going to address that. I've had male students come to me with hyperkyphosis, an exaggerated rounding of the upper back and developing pain in the neck for having to com- compensate. And and. I will put them on the floor and have them lengthen out. And all of a sudden, this tremendous barrel chest will appear. And because they're kind and gentle, they have not wanted to lord over, feel that they're lording it over people by this tremendous presence. I've had the same problem with young girls who develop a bosom very early and who hide it. And that because people whistle at them, this is a psychosocial problem. It encourages the, the, the rounding of the back. So one has to be aware of how one's even social presence can influence back pain. And tall men, same thing. I've had very wonderful, gentle, very tall men come to me in chronic pain because they don't want to stand tall over everybody. It's not yeah. just a tall woman's problem. It's a tall man's problem. Yeah. So when I can get them to own their height, which they do beautifully. And I always say, you know, there are lots of ways to be accessible, is to smile, talk, 
stand further away from people, widen your stance so that you're t- geometrically you'll be shorter if you separate your feet, you know, all of these things so that height is not an issue. And so, and I've had this problem with men and women both, but men are tall and strong and, and it really is something to consider. So there are many, many aspects to back pain, by the way, as you yep. can see. Well, you know, one of the things that I really appreciated and loved uh, in your teacher training program and just how uh, how you lead your your classes and the programs is, I think you also, you encourage people, and obviously in a positive way, but you're also inspiring some confidence that they actually can do more than they probably realize and to get out of that place of feeling stuck and sort of guarded and hiding. And I, and, uh, you know, I can also appreciate that it's somewhat stressful having to interact with so many, so many clients and, uh, students who come in, who bring in their own energy and their own stress and depression, anxiety around their back issues. And, you know, having to work with them, you know, doing, being inverted in a sling or having them work with, uh, new aspects with a chair or whatever it is, you know, you, you, you love kind of love the good fight and sticking with people in the foxhole to really help them try to, uh, find the connection and see that agency in themselves. And, um, you know, you never, you never seem to really run out of gas when it comes to dealing with those folks. And I know it's a lot, it's probably a lot. I do run out of gas, <laughs> but, um, you know, one of the things I, 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 for a while was working with a very interesting doctor in New York. And he, and he said, you know, there are ways also of, of, um, protecting your own energy and rest your forearm on the wall for a while. So you use the wall as a kind of mm-hmm. cathecting mode or rinse your arms off up to the elbow so that, you know, you just, you feel that you're letting stuff go, but I, I would get tired and I too would have to take restorative poses just to recharge my batteries. Yep. Um, and sometimes I didn't always have time to recharge my batteries. So um, it might make me a little tense, you know, or, or, you know, I mean, these things happen, but yeah. the important thing is if you're feeling that, because you have to be, if you, you have to be able to work with your students, then you have to check out and just, uh, that's why I never schedule students back to back. I always have time in between sessions so that I can do notes, but I can also quiet myself down completely, clear myself and be completely ready for the next person. Yep. yep. Well, no, another thing that I love and appreciate about the train that we did together was the incredible amount of opportunity to work with props, whether it's a block or a chair or a belt or a wall, the blankets, it's endless. You know, one of my first memories of coming to your studio and and sharing my back challenges, and you had referenced this earlier, which was have them lie down, lie down the blanket, and they put their, uh, their legs up on a chair. You know, maybe it's not quite 90, 90, but close to that. And then you would grab a belt and you would belt their thighs together, maybe not entirely tight, but enough so you would take the the load and the weight of the femurs of the legs out of that person's pelvis and lower back and just let let them rest there. And I bring a belt with me when when I'm on an airplane, less so now, but there were times when I would travel, I would just belt my legs. I might put a little magazine over it so nobody thinks I'm going nuts, but you know the idea of of supporting your 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 supporting your lower back by taking out the responsibility of also, you know, uh, keeping your legs square. And I think um, may I, those may I say something about that? That's sure. really great that you were doing that because, of course, 
you know, men are brought up to let their knees fall apart. And so not letting them fall apart is actually requires more consciousness than for most women who are brought up, maybe less so now, yeah. but you know, sp spreading the legs wide, you know, all that stuff. But that's exactly a wonderful thing to do. Anybody can benefit. And it was a great idea to belt your legs because then you do not have to control them, but they also won't run into your neighbors. Yes. You know, yes. When you're on the plane and, and you're tall, you have long legs, you don't want to keep hitting your neighbor with your knees. I mean, I don't care if it's so poor. I'll look at somebody and say, it's okay if our legs touch. Just yep. relax, yeah. you know, because that's what's going to happen. And, you know, I might find it comforting, you know, just our legs have relaxed. That's an end to it. But belting the legs so you don't have to worry about that is fantastic. Yep. And I, you know, I, I realize on the plane when I'm traveling that the crossing of your legs is usually done because there's some weakness or fatigue in your lower back. And so to keep your feet square flat on the ground is, is, is actually somewhat tiring and fatiguing. So you should put your feet up on something. Actually, it is fatiguing. Well, next time it. I'll fly first class. You know, yeah, I know, but you put it back on the floor, pull it out and get your feet up on that if you can. So the knees right. are actually, they, they actually move you, you move your femurs back and you back into your seat. By the way, yes. I always put my feet up on something. Well, I've gotten much more creative. The other thing I'll say is even when taking a nap, you know, I put a pillow or something under my legs. I, sometimes I'll belt those legs again just to take that tension out of out of my back and my body. And so, you know, and, and this is endless. And so the reason why I bring this up is that I've, I've said several times on this podcast that, that men should really feel encouraged to grab a block or two going into a yoga studio. They should be somewhat close to a wall if they've got issues with their balance or a leg and they should really take advantage of the props that are there. And I, I really feel that actually, you know, you're cheating. You might think you're cheating or not, you know, doing it right by using a block or grabbing the wall, or using a chair or whatever it is. You're really cheating yourself by not use, utilizing that block in that chair or that wall. I mean, there, you, if you start thinking of that, about that way, yoga props are your body in different form. Yes. Instead of being something from the outside that is a cheating device, it just lets you lengthen your limb or sharpen a point of gravity so when you lie over a block, it helps you extend your spine and, and release over it. It also can be a tremendous strengthening tool, by the way. You can challenge yourself. I mean, we see all over gyms now people with their legs through a chair doing what are called Copenhagen um, uh, leg lifts. But I was teaching that years ago in yoga classes, you know, to, to develop strength. So the chair can develop strength, range of motion, offer tranquility. But what everybody should be looking for is an intelligent practice. And if using a prop makes your practice more intelligent, isn't that what you would want? If it lets you prevent yourself from injuring yourself further, then that would be a fantastic thing. One of the things I've always told teachers in trainings is if you see somebody who is resistant to using a prop and you know they should, you give the entire class the prop and say, <laughs> let's see if you can figure out how to use this prop well. Yeah. This is not easy. Right? Yeah. First of all, you make it hard to put your hand on a block. Right? This is very advanced, people. Very advanced. Very advanced. You know, whatever. You can yeah. you can give every single person that prop so that but also you don't have the you don't have to this is something I've said for years. You don't have to have the problem to enjoy the solution. I love right? it. So everybody can use a block. You truly can. So it even if it's you see it's for that one student that you're giving it to everybody so they don't feel singled out. And this is the other thing, feeling singled out 
is probably the biggest challenge for somebody who's in a general class who might have range of motion limitation. So you, you want to give those students the understanding that the more intelligent their practice is, the better they're going to feel. And once I've, I have students who, once they understand how to use props, are so cheerful about just going to get what they need. They don't wait for me to say anything. They just demonstrate the knowledge. They even start to explore. And all of a sudden, the corner is turned, and the use of props becomes so self-evident that I, there's no convincing anymore. It's there. Yep. But I, I would recommend every single person no matter how healthy they are, right? You can be without injuries to try some props and see how much it can teach you, right? If you can do a handstand, put your hands on two blocks and go up into handstand and see how, how that can make it harder for you. On the other hand, you know, put your feet up on something and see how much easier it is to go up. There are all of these things that you can do. Yeah, well, I would say the, the, the spark that you lit in me was being open and creative with using blocks and these props and as you would say, just, just have fun with it. And the meaning that you can explore what you need. It doesn't always have to be the official way to how to use a, blo a yoga block, uh, nope. you know, for side angle pose or whatever it is, you really can go figure out and explore with it. And I'll say it, it was something I was going to highlight to show how far I've come in the teacher training in fall of 2017, we were in a deep afternoon of talking about props and, uh, and Supta Varasana uh, was a pose that I always struggled greatly with. I, mean, I, I really couldn't do it because I was such a mess back then. Well, I have to put this up on the website when we post this. But you had a photo, uh, you had the classic a photo of me doing Supta Varasana with probably like six or seven different bolsters or props. And almost, in the studio. <laughs> it was almost like some kind of like offering, like this was a offering or sacrifice to the gods because I also was like strapped to this chair. So it really looked like we're going to leave them and let the gods, you know, t take them here at this volcano. But, you know, I just I just had a yoga class today at a friend's a friend's studio uh, you know, up the street. And um, and there's a moment in his class towards the end. We do Supta Varasana. And uh, I use I, I now have one. I have two blocks. I have one block uh, and you will appreciate this on this on the second side uh, or uh, of the block under my shoulder blades. And then I have the second block under my head. And I'm, I mean, that is remarkable from where I was, you know, five, six years ago. And for me, it's, it's just, it blows me away that I'm, I was able to over time patiently work through, not just to do that pose better, this doing that pose better with less support and blocks was really just a culmination of just being open and working through everything. So, I mean, I, I just, I encourage everyone here to get curious about props, go buy a block, a belt, uh, have those things at home, use them at home when you explore on your mat. You know, you don't have to roll out your mat and do a 90 minute practice with candles and, and funky music. You can spend 10, 15 minutes, yeah. you know, like a quick floss of your body uh, doing a little something. Let me add something here. Now you're seeing in all kinds of, of gyms, people using sticks, what are called sticks, which are what I call dowels, for range of motion and development. That's a prop, right? But it can also be used like, you know, martial arts weapon. You can think of it that way, but it's a prop. Anything that's not part of your body is a prop. You know, a sword in battle is a prop. It's a sharper hand, yep. right? We, we use a knife and fork. Those, those are instruments to eat food more easily, but they're yep. props, they're, they're eating yep. props. Everything in life is prop. So yoga can be prop too. And, you, and it can be fantastic.
as you yep. say. And to explore props really is a, a, a wonderful opening. And if you go to a gym, you'll see their props everywhere that they're not called that. People putting their knees on a bench and then doing, you know, arm work with weights. That bench is a is a prop. Prop. It's another prop. Yep. And you can use them for backbending yep. in yoga. I love it. I mean, it is really uh it's it's endless. And there's just so many different ways you can you can take this stuff and you can do it in yeah. any place you have a modest amount of space. And I love that you've explored it so much, Derek. And it's one of the things that makes it so fun to 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 teach you when I teach you when I do. I mean, I haven't seen you in a while, but it always was fun because you were so inquiring about well, it. Well, you'd be very impressed by my prop collection at this point, Allison. Uh, it, it's all over the place. So, Allison, um, it's just so great to have you. This is this is this has been so much fun to reconnect. For people who want to find out more, and I'll have links on the website as well as in the uh, podcast notes. But what is the best place for folks to track you down for uh, understanding where you teach, accessing some of your online classes, privates, all that good stuff? Well, right now, I, as you know, I don't have a studio. So when I teach my privates, I teach out of the Balance Arts Center on West Thirtieth, and uh, and. The best thing is to, in that case, contact me directly yep. by email. In Manhattan. Me. In Manhattan. Yes, in, in Manhattan. And um, I'm about to move over to a new platform uh, where I will then be actually be able to host my videos. And so it'll be very easy to get on-demand work through this new platform. And I will announce it on my website, uh, which is yogaunion.com. And that's all. It's about to happen. I have to, it's just, there's an onboarding process and then uploading process. And then I will also release my rope wall and door program there. And guys, it's just the most fantastic thing. It's releasing, strengthening, um, fun, mysterious, uh, adventurous. It's really great. I love it. For anyone in the New York area, uh, and certainly you can find Allison online, anyone in the New York area, I highly recommend uh, finding Allison for a private. If you're somebody who has challenges, you know, back, hip, legs, you know, anything you have, Allison would be a great place to learn how to uh, utilize yoga and learn how to start your practice. So please reach out. Allison, so great. I'm so grateful for uh, you being so uh, generous and letting me slip into your teacher training in 2017. I'll never forget you, like halfway through the program, you were like, you actually haven't had much of a practice before this, did you? And I said, well, you, you know, and she, I think you were gracious in letting me come in. And uh, I think you were also very patient and very supportive and also in uh, having me stick it out and also being there whenever I needed, uh, needed help. Yes. Yes. And having you stick it out was as important as letting you come in, not letting you go out once you were you in. Did. Right. So that, so that you really would have the, the point of the teacher training for you was to help you develop a great deal of confidence and self-awareness, which you did. Yes. Right? It gave you the time to do that, which you couldn't possibly have done with the number of private sessions that you would have needed to cover the arc of information and practice that the training gave you. And that was wonderful. And that's what I saw in you an intelligence and inquiring mind that would make you benefit from the work, even if your practice was not equal to what might be required ordinarily. So there are always exceptions. Yes. Thank you for that. Thank you for uh, everything that you do. I think, I think just how much uh, you've invested so much of your time and your energy uh, and who you are in uh, absorbing all this great information, helping connect the dots for people and sharing all the amazing things that you've picked up along the way with so many people who really struggle and who many do find yoga as a way to uh, turn the corner and really have a great, uh, a great uh, thriving life. So thank you. 
And thank you again for joining us. Thank you so much, Derek. It was great fun. Thank you. Allison West, what can I say? She is so special and unique, I think, in the yoga world. There's a lot of amazing teachers out there, but Allison just has such a drive and passion and high level of standard for not only expecting the best of herself, but also the students who come to her. And she is just, uh, I think she, I think she's an absolute treasure for anyone who's seeking to use yoga and, and, and learn how to uh, use it to make their lives better. So anyhow, that's it. And thanks for checking in. This is going to be a great season. Take care.